1: Hello, I'm uh, Tim Borum, and welcome to another edition of uh, Health Kick. And we're recording uh, today live from the Oz Biotech Conference in Melbourne, which is well, one of the industry's um, biggest events, if uh, if not the biggest. We're lucky today uh, because it's, it's a two-in-one deal. I've got uh, two drug developers here today in the uh, anti-inflammatory and anti-fibrotic space. So with me are uh, Dr. Nina Webster from Dimerics and Gary Phillips from Pharmaxis. Uh, Both are CEOs of their respective companies and and both of them are uh, of course uh, listed on the ASX. Now fibrosis or or tissue scarring is uh, sort of quite the work of the devil really in that it's uh, thought to be responsible for uh, 45% of all diseases. And not surprisingly there's a lot of big farmer interest in the area and they haven't uh, been shy about snapping up uh, developers uh, at an early stage. Um, Just a bit about both companies, Dimerix focuses on chronic kidney disease or or, or CKD, uh, which also includes diabetic kidney disease. The company's lead drug is called DMX200 and it's a combination therapy which is based on a a known heart pressure drug, which has the lovely name of proper germanium. I hope I've got that right. It's uh, not a flowering plant, but an anti-inflammatory to treat hepatitis B. It's also uh, tackling an eye disease called uh, FSGS. And that's an abbreviation and um, I I won't spell it out. I'll I'll, I'll let uh, Nina do that. And uh, Dimerix is also furthering a treatment for uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which is uh, quite a... uh, a common condition and even more so as the population ages. Now Pharmaxis has been toiling away for some years on a number of disease treatments uh, notably for cystic fibrosis uh, and uh, in May this year the uh, US uh, Food and Drug Administration all but approved the company's drug Broncotol to treat adult CF patients in the US and I think full approval is expected uh, next year. Uh, Pharmaxis is also eyeing treatments for a liver disease called NASH, which is non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, as well as diabetic retinopathy. Um, And uh, to boot, uh, it's also looking at the fatal lung disease, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis both companies have got quite a bit happening starting with uh, Nina in your area what sort of the problem with, with, with the existing drugs you know the standard of care
2: Yeah. so when we're talking about kidney disease and just what pick up on one point you made mm. earlier the FSGS focal segmental glomerulosclerosis that's the one is for kidney disease as well so they're both for kidney disease
1: oh okay yes. okay
2: so the issue with kidney disease is historically the clinical trials have been uh, particularly long time to end stage renal failure and um, many years and very very expensive and as a result there's been very little innovation in the space. So no new drugs innovation for over 15 years. So this has created a real opportunity because in 2018 the FDA changed the regulations and guidelines so that the trials are now surrogate endpoints instead of these hard endpoints. So the results can be in months not years. So this has created quite a buzz in the space, um, as I said, uh, it, for focal segmental glomerulosclerosis, particularly because it's an orphan indication, which means it's very rare. Yes,
1: yes, yes. And so, so there hasn't been much development, just chiefly because of, the, uh, as I say, the time uh, it takes to, to run the trial. It's not, uh, because the market's not there
2: or? We believe that, that's, that it's because of the length of the trials, that the market is certainly there. Um, with over um, 20% of all diabetics suffering from kidney disease, Uh, all incidences of kidney disease globally, uh, 40% are caused by diabetic kidney disease. And if you think about the rate of growth of diabetes, so too is the rate of of diabetic kidney disease growing.
1: Okay, and and we're talking in the main about type two diabetes or the
2: Type two is the predominant growth in that space, correct. Correct. The other point I would just uh, make there is that we're not a combination product per se. We are uh, DMX 200. And DMX 200 is given to patients who are already taking the current standard of care. So it's an adjunct therapy.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. But but, but you're not actually combining the two. We're not
2: actually combining the two, correct.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, but but they're put on the standard of care, so that... Uh, they're already well, on standard of
2: care, correct? They're, they're, um, they're, and they're, then we're looking for a further reduction of what's called protein urea, protein in the urine, which is a measure of the rate of progression of kidney disease. Yeah, okay, okay. And, and
1: why did you join Dimerics? Because you've, you joined fairly recently, you joined the
2: company fairly recently. I joined in late 2018, correct? So I've yeah. been there a year now. Uh, long enough to know better okay (laughs) so uh, the the main reason I joined is I've got a long history over 25 years of in the industry Uh, started off in pharmacology but spent the last 12 years in the commercial side of the business and most pharma companies will hit a tipping point where they're going from R&D into commercialization and that's where you typically need to bring in the skill set for that commercialization bridging the gap so I've predominantly been brought in for that part of it. So we're bringing in not just the clinical trials, but the CMC, which is basically the chemistry manufacturing controls, um, all the manufacturing piece of the puzzle, uh, making sure the reimbursement component is together, pricing, marketing, uh, bring all those pieces together for the next step of commercialisation.
1: Okay, we'll come back to the commercialisation route a bit later. But uh, just turning to, to Gary, Pharmaxis is, is targeting quite a number of indications. Do, do you have a priority as such? Yeah. Is cystic, cystic fibrosis the priority? or
0: No, cystic fibrosis is more of a historical indication for us with uh, the manitol business. Um, so Pharmaxis is still very much a company of two halves. You've got a manufacturing piece with drug on the market approved in Europe. The FDA has approved one of our drugs as well, and as you said, is going to approve Broncotol, we hope, early next year. Um, so that bit of the business operates on its own, and that covers cystic fibrosis and asthma diagnosis. Um, the other part of our business which we've developed um, in the last four or five years has been uh, drug development and built around an amine oxidase chemistry platform, and from that we've generated four drugs in the last five years that have gone through from in- being invention right the way through into the clinic, and that's the, the blue sky in the company, I guess you'd say.
1: Okay, and so they, they, these are the four drugs for, for, for what?
0: So the, the first one was partnered with Boehringer, so we sold it to them in 2015. So they continue to develop that drug um, and they're responsible for the development, so we don't have to contribute any more money towards the development. But we earn milestone payments as and when they reach certain points in the development. <coughs> um, they've, we've already received 83 million from them up until now, since 2015. Uh, the next milestone payments are due when they start their Phase 3 studies, and they're targeting two indications. The first one is NASH, or fatty liver disease, non-alcoholic... Uh, yes. well, we'll just call it fatty liver disease. Fatty, yeah. liver disease. ...fatty liver disease, uh, and yeah. the other one is diabetic retinopathy. Uh, it's an anti-inflammatory drug, so in the liver disease, uh, they'll be using it, and the first of the Phase 2 trials is due to read out later this quarter. So this has been a busy news flow for Pharmaxis coming up. Um, so the BI drug, first phase two to read out this quarter, and then the diabetic retinopathy study reads out in the first half of next year. So those will be the first two clinical proof of concept for that drug in patients. So that's a really exciting step forward. So that's obviously a, a priority for us as a company, but it's not our responsibility. It's or taking it forward. The, sure. Well, the, the drugs we do have control of, uh, which are still in the pipeline, we're focusing on, again, on NASH, and an IPF, the uh, pulmonary fibrosis, uh, as being the sort of two lead indications at the moment.
1: Okay, is that the Loxal two? Program? That's the Loxal
0: two program, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. 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 But uh, but basically, you've got uh, you've got revenue streams already from partnering, and it's it's not just uh, bi, is it? You've got uh, you've also got a tie up with uh, with Kiesi. Ch- Ch- yeah. Yes. And, yeah. and and that and that, uh, that, that generates. Uh, So
0: Kiesia are are a licensed partner in the US for Broncotol uh, and a distributor for us in Europe. So yes, so they they buy directly from us and sell into the market in Europe Uh, and obviously when uh, they're responsible for the FDA submission, finishing it off, um, they've got one more study, small study to do, which is a, a human factor study. It's not involving patients, they've just got to test that healthcare professionals are f- capable of following some instructions on a package and training. So it should be fairly straightforward. Um, and uh, the f- so they should finish that early next, early in quarter one. So we're expecting um, the FDA will take two months, so we're expecting a decision from the FDA in quarter two next year. And then when we ship the launch stock to the US, then we earn 10 million US dollars in milestone payments. sure. So okay. uh, and then royalties. Okay. and cost of goods uplift after that. So it's uh, yes, and it's exciting from a partnering point of view for the Oxlite 2, and it's exciting from the Broncotol getting approved from the FDA coming up quite soon, and then the BI studies reading out as well, so.
1: Okay, okay, great, yeah. And Nina, are you, in terms of commercialization, are, are you sort of looking at a partnering approach as well? Um...
2: Um, the, the short answer is yes, ultimately. Mm. Um, you know, uh, Dimerix is not big enough to take the product actually to market sure. uh, itself. There's two ways to look at it. You've got the diabetic kidney disease where the clinical trials are going to be quite large um, and significantly um, lengthy in time and duration and cost. So probably too big for Dimerics to take on. FSGS is a different uh, ball game from the perspective that it's an orphan indication and we already have orphan drug designation in US and Europe. With that in mind, we have an abbreviated regulatory pathway through to market So it's not beyond the realms of possibility that we could do that one ourselves. At the end of the day, it comes down to uh, the value proposition for the shareholder. And that's something that we will be assessing over the next few months as to which way we, we move forward with that.
1: Okay. Okay. Sure. Uh, what, what's the addressable market for FSGS? You, you mentioned it's a, it's an yep. orphan indication, so so, so it's not uh, it presumably not not huge, but that doesn't mean it can't be a lucrative market.
2: Correct. That's absolutely correct. And so, from an orphan indication perspective, uh, it's a rather large orphan indication. So, one hundred and twenty thousand sufferers in the US alone. Okay. Yes. Uh, typically, though, when you look at it from that perspective, only about ten percent of those who suffer from an orphan indication receive treatment. So there's about 12,000 addressable um, prescriptions available. Uh, That said, the orphan drug pricing comes into play here, and the average orphan drug pricing is $7,000 per month so if you look at it from that perspective if seven thousand dollars per month with twelve thousand patients it does give you over a billion dollars in the addressable market of which that's the size of the pie that we can chase
1: sure sure uh, reimbursement would have sort of have to come into it too too wouldn't it
2: for, uh... orphan drugs are reimbursed correct yeah yeah yeah
1: yes. okay okay great yeah all right um uh no, no, we're, we're talking about uh, anti-fibrotics and and uh uh anti uh inflammation mechanisms, but perhaps one of you could, uh, could explain how they're uh, interlinked.
2: I can talk about it, I'll talk about it from a kidney perspective and then hand over mm. uh, to Gary. Um, from a kidney perspective, there are three main causes of, of kidney disease, or three main mechanisms. The first is this anti-hyperfiltration um, and anti-hypertension, so basically the vessels in the kidney are working super hard. Because they're working persistently uh, and continuously, it causes inflammation where that inflammation is ongoing, it results in fibrosis. And what happens is as the cells die off, then they have to work even harder, so you go back to point one, and there's more filtration, um, hyperfiltration goes up, which means there's more inflammation, which means they come to the third point, again, more fibrosis. And this goes around faster and faster, hence this rapid decline. Once you kill off the kidney cells, you can't uh, go back up the, the hill.
1: No, 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 that, 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 that's kind of it, isn't
2: it? That's correct, so, so the inflammatory process is what causes the fibrosis? Yeah, okay, okay, great. Or... Uh,
0: from a, from a, a liver and lung perspective, um, you start off with um, cells in a, a normal non-inflammatory state within the tissue, um, but then you get insults. So from a liver perspective, it's normally diet, so obesity. Uh, It can be diabetes, or it can be genetic factors as well um, that insult the cells and then they go on to produce chemokines which cause more inflammatory cells to be brought into the tissue. If you're in the lung environment, that can be bacteria or viruses or it can be smoking or other chemicals that somebody's inhaled. Sure. uh, The idea is basically that the the basic cells there get insulted on a regular basis. They release a substance which causes other cells to become activated you attract inflammatory cells in, and then you have a chronic inflammation process. Uh, and if you have a chronic inflammation process going on, eventually the body decides I need to start repairing. And the repair process is what we call fibrosis. So you lay down a very dense layer of intracellular, extracellular tissue, uh, which in the liver is collagen fibers, and in the lung is elastin fibers and then you have enzymes that come along and cross-link those fibres that cause that kind of dense matrix to set up. So that's when you get scar tissue, and it's the same as a scar that you would find on your skin, but it's in an organ, uh, which obviously causes the organ to become stiff. Uh, the tissue doesn't work as normal organ tissue does, so the, 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 the organ starts to malfunction and then you get disease and so on and so on and so on. So it's trying the, to the organs
1: are really meant to be a bit floppy, aren't they? The <laughs> well, it's at least
0: pliable, <laughs> yeah. We, we use a thing in a, actually in, the, in lung disease, uh, called a squishometer okay. so you can actually yeah, so you can actually get a you can you can take cells from a patient with uh, pulmonary fibrosis and you can grow them in a petri dish and they will turn into spheres very much like you see in pulmonary fibrosis patients they call them foci. Um, and then you put them on a little plate and you have a little plate that's above it and you put pressure on them and you squish them and the piece of equipment is actually called a micro squisher and you can measure the pressure that's needed to deflect the 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 structures by a certain amount so if you've got a drug then you apply it to the tissue you can then measure does it make the tissue more pliable and less stiff or not so it's a good way of testing quite quickly in in human tissue rather than an animal model uh, whether you've got a drug or not
1: it sounds like a good old-fashioned technique, which still, yeah, still yeah, works. Yeah, I just
0: love the word micro squisher. So. Yeah,
1: yeah I, 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 I love it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, how um, how hard or or, or or easy is it to, to, to be an Australian company in the uh, in the space? Um, you know, sort of globally. do you, did you feel you sort
0: of get the investor recognition? I think I, I don't about Nina, but I, I, you know we we certainly try to be um, global leaders in a certain area that we're in. So it's irrespective of which country we're in, we think we dominate a certain kind of chemistry from which we've evolved for drugs and got them through into the clinic. And if you can do that, and you can demonstrate that you are having success and that you are being noticed by big farmer and you know when you've sold an asset that you've shown okay so my the quality of my program has now passed the test of somebody else coming along and wanting to buy it uh, then you start to attract investors not only from Australia but from overseas so our shareholder register is probably a third is is UK US Um, our largest shareholder is a US uh, US fund uh, and the rest is is Australian Um, so it's it's you know it's it's it it is sometimes difficult I think that the amount of capital that's available within Australia is is limited. Um, the healthcare market here isn't that deep. Um, but you know, we've got institutional investors about 60% of the of the of the register. Okay. And um, half of that comes from overseas. And I think having overseas people also investing is good validation. I mean these are professional Healthcare, they only invest in healthcare companies, so to have them on the register is, is great because it gives confidence to the average investor in the street who's looking around saying, well, how do I understand this technology? How do I, where do I start, you know, in terms of understanding the risk? Well, if you, if you can see a company where you've got a specialist healthcare investor who's put a big chunk of money in, then you should have some degree of confidence that they've done the diligence and they think this is a good way forward. Of course it's not always right but you know it's, it's one thing you can tick off in your box. Yeah. Do, you, do you need
1: more cash, uh, because, uh, given your partnering, I I, I presume
0: no. not? No, we, we our cash we had 30 million at the end of uh, June and we had 6 million R&D tax credits so um, that's a good chunk of cash for us to see through some of the milestones that we have coming up and developing some of the earlier stage compounds again into the clinic and into other diseases that we're starting to focus on.
1: Okay, and uh, Nina, what does uh, the Dimerix uh, Register look like?
2: So, the Dimerics Register at the moment is 100% retail, mm. uh, management owns just under 20%. It's predominantly Australia at this point. I would come back to, to Gary's point and I completely agree with Gary that at the end of the day it comes down to the science and we also believe we've got world-class science behind our drug delivery. What's going to come next is we've got to meet the certain milestones to validate those um, those points, and then the recognition will come in globally. Absolutely, so completely agree.
1: And, and so um, how are you off for funding? Do you, do you think you
2: are We're actually very comfortable the at the moment, absolutely. So at the end of the last quarter, our 4C came out last week. At the end of the last quarter, we had 2 million in the bank. The week mm-hmm. after, we received our R&D tax rebate of 1.2 million. So we are sufficiently funded for the current two clinical trials. Yeah,
1: okay. how, uh, how, how important do you think the R&D incentive is? Uh, a lot of companies, well, could greatly appreciate it. It can make it a big difference. Absolutely,
2: different. for us, um, and I think companies our size, it's invaluable. Um, the, the support that we get with that is, we couldn't do the science we could without the funding. And as Gary said, VC funding in Australia is, is quite difficult. Mm, um, yes. So those kinds kind of incentives are very valuable for us yeah okay, f- i think
0: from our, our perspective it's uh if you're a shareholder in, in a company i mean we have a an R&D drug discovery group of about 18 people um it's it's led by sort of ex big pharma scientists um, and they can come and do really high quality work and the government rebates back a big chunk of the money that we do it so in terms of leverage uh, in terms of bang for your buck, in terms of the investment you put into that drug discovery group, um, you know, it makes it very efficient, um, and I think shareholders get a good, a good deal out of it. To be honest, I think you know the efficiency we run our group at, and the cost it takes us per molecule we manage to get through, is would compete with anywhere in the world. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's it's greatly appreciated, and it's uh, it certainly attracts more investment in. And when we're talking to other universities in Australia and outside, uh, and trying to attract new programs to build the pipeline further um, the, the fact that you can you can attract that that tax credit is uh, is certainly an incentive to bring new technology to Australia.
1: Sure okay yeah so, so it's a big consideration yeah okay um, just just to close out I was just wondering if uh, both of you could sort of summarise what uh, investors should look out for in the next I don't know, six to 12 months in terms of what's coming up. Um, Nina, would you
2: like to... Absolutely. So from our perspective, we're in the middle of two phase two clinical trials, one for diabetic kidney disease and one for focal segmental glomerulosclerosis. Both of those trials are due to read out in quarter two 2020. Um, So from a biotech perspective, that's very near term. Yes. We have our uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease uh, product. It's in preclinical, so we expect to have um, proof of concept in the next six months that's also to come uh, and we'll also uh, have some regulatory meetings with the FDA and some commercial manufacturing um, endpoints to meet.
1: Okay that's quite a full slate and uh, uh, Derek?
0: Yeah it's gonna be we're gonna be noisy I think for the for the next few months so um, you mentioned at the beginning the uh, the FDA Advisory Committee meeting uh, recommending our product for approval. Yes. On, 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 on. um So I think you know if you look at our the, the valuation of the company over the last 12 months. You know certainly the, the FDA advisory committee meetings caused a bit of a spike at that time when they came with their approval, and then of course the FDA came and said, "Well, you need to do a little bit more work." So the market's f- flattened off and you know gone a bit weak after that point. Um, but in the next six months, um, you will see reports from Boeing Ingelheim on the asset that they bought from us, saying whether it works in the clinic or not. Um, it doesn't attract cash milestone to that point but it certainly de-risks the whole of the deal that we did which was worth 600 million in total in deal milestones and royalties and sales milestones after that so that valuation suddenly becomes that deal suddenly becomes a lot more tangible and people say okay that's really worth something now Uh, we've got then the fda coming through with hopefully an approval in the quarter two for bronchitol 10 million us dollar milestone coming on the back of that probably around mid-year uh, and then there's our Locks Light 2 program, which I'm here talking at AusBiotech about today uh, and about the prospects for partnering that. And uh, certainly the partnering process is still underway and we're estimating that you know, that process will come to a conclusion by the end of the year. So yeah, it's going to be exciting six months.
1: Okay, great. Well, I mean, you, you mentioned noise and mm. uh, in, in, investors like noise, they, mm. uh, they don't like uh, the uh, Sort of boring but important periods where where, where nothing happens. Yeah, um, when we're get, just doing. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, so so it sounds it sounds like uh, that both companies have got uh, uh, have, have got a lot of uh, noisy uh, uh, things coming up uh, of uh, of interest. Um, so uh, Nina and Gary, th- thanks for thanks for dropping by. Uh, pleasure to talk. Yeah. Good. Thank, thank you, you very Tom. much. Thank, thank you.